wise men follow him, they rose again. Wise men follow him, thank God for the renegades and the lives they Good morning, Northern Maine. Welcome to the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscience of Maine. Broadcast in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, 96.5 FM in Brewer and Bangor, Maine. You're hearing this on May 14, 2016. And today, we're supposed to have scattered showers, mostly before 9 a.m. We had clear blue sky a few minutes ago, and then clouded up a little bit, so could be another shower, but it's sunny at the moment. And 73 today, high of 73. West wind around 6 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation 30%, but it's going to be nicer this afternoon. Tonight, scattered showers between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m., then rain likely after 5 a.m., increasing clouds, low around 47. Southeast wind around 6 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation, 60%. New precipitation amounts of less than a tenth of an inch. Sunday, rain, high near 56. Southeast wind around 7 miles an hour, becoming southwest in the afternoon. Chance of precipitation, 80%. New precipitation amounts between a tenth and a quarter inch possible. Sunday night, chance of showers, mostly cloudy, low around 38, west wind, 9 to 13 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation, 50%. New precipitation amounts of less than a tenth of an inch. And then Monday, rain before 9 a.m. and a chance of showers after 9 a.m. Cloudy, high near 50, west wind, around 14 miles an hour. Chance of precipitation is 60%. New precipitation amounts of less than a tenth of an inch. So it's going to be a little showery and dreary this wind, this this weekend, but sunny all week, right through the next weekend. Just a slight chance of a shower from time to time, but basically it's going to be sunny all week, high 60 to 70, beautiful spring week. So we're doing pretty good weather-wise. This will knock the fire danger down. ATVs are going to be out. Most of the trails are open. They're open uh, from Lincoln all the way up to Holton. And uh, north of Holton, there may be some trails that are still closed because of soft ground and mud. We don't want to tear up people's property because most trails are on private property, for which we're very thankful. But these showers will keep the dust down. Bring your brush loppers and something hanging out in the trail, cheek snappers, uh, cheek slappers or knee knockers, then uh, bring your bring your brush cutters, bring your loppers, and snip off those branches. The other riders will appreciate it. Nobody's going to get a poke in the eye with a stick at night. Okay, gas is two fifteen in Elliott, up two cents. Gas is two fifty eight in Dresden. Down southern Maine, I don't exactly know where Dresden is. I'd have to look it up. 
up eight cents from last week. And diesel is a dollar ninety nine in the rundle, same two stations, same price as last week. Diesel is two fifty nine in Ellsworth. Now why is it sixty cents a gallon more expensive in Ellsworth than it is in a rundle? I can tell you. Coming up on a holiday weekend, and all those big diesel-powered motorhomes are headed down to Acadia. And they're going to whack them. If they didn't gas up in Brewer and Bangor, and they get make it down to Ellsworth, <laughs> they got them. They don't want to be riding around on Mount Desert Island trying to buy diesel. So they're going to head into these campgrounds with full tanks so they can head back out with a full tank. Some of their generators are diesel also. So, we've got an apple seed coming June 25th and 26th in Columbia, Maine. Columbia is just west of Machias, and it's about 40 40 minutes east of Ellsworth, just off of Route 1. And it's the Pleasant River Fishing Game Club. They're a great host club, good people fun time. Uh, you never know what they're going to have for lunch. They, uh, you can buy your lunch there, and they've got a couple of couple of retired military cooks there that are really good cooks. Once in a while, they even feed lobster. If the price of lobster is down, you might get a lobster salad or a lobster roll for lunch. It happens. Or it might be hot dog and chili. So, you can learn about the history of what happened on April 19, 1775. <coughs> Excuse me. Or you can, uh, or I should say, and you can improve your marksmanship and safety. Pretty strict about safety. We've been doing this for eight years in all 50 states. And uh, we've never had a firearms-related accident. The only thing complaints we get is from hot brass. Get somebody banging away rapid fire with a 308, 7.62 NATO, same thing. And a piece of hot brass lands on the back of somebody's neck and goes down their T-shirt. <laughs> they let a screech out of them and get rid of that as fast as they can. But uh, you've got some discipline. You just tolerate it and keep your front sight on the target and keep banging it away. They wind up getting a blister from that from that 7.62 NATO round. Same with 223 or 5.56 NATO. Same thing. I've got 223s in semi-auto and 223s in bolt action. I do better with the bolt action, but it's customized. There are a lot of woodchucks at three to four hundred yards not easy to hit a woodchuck at 400 yards. You want to get them around sunset when the wind dies down and and know where that bullet's going to go. Trajectory. Okay? You fire it. You don't, if you don't change your, your sights, you fire it, and it goes up in the air, passes through the line of sight, floats along, drops back down through the line of sight again, and then further out, it's below the line of sight. It's like throwing a snowball. Throw a snowball, it doesn't travel in a straight line, it it arcs, and you have to plane on the trajectory. Or chasing somebody with a garden hose. 
cutting up a stump that I couldn't dig up, and a uh, fellow cut the, cut the tree for me, a great big stump. And I wanted to cut the stump off flush with the ground. Didn't have a, a chainsaw big enough to do that in one swipe. You couldn't do it coming in from the sides. I had an 18-inch chainsaw bar, but the tree was substantially larger than 36 inches. So I, in fact, I laid a five-foot crowbar across a stump and took a picture of it. I mean, it was a big stump. So I had to chunk it up in 14-inch squares. And my grandson was up, so I would take the horse, I would take the hose, excuse me, and uh, after we cut the stump off, we'd take the hose and and uh, hose off any gravel uh, near the stump and make another cut. Grandson found out it was more fun to chase Grandpa with a hose than it was to hose off the stump. So, <laughs> but he quickly learned it's, it's instinct that you know, in order to hit Grandpa, you got to get ahead of him because he was running. And you and you point the hose at him, the water's going to get there, and Grandpa's going to be gone. So then you run back down the hose and you thin the hose in half and shut the water off. And he doesn't know how you did that without turning the faucet. Yeah. But before we leave weather entirely here, it's supposed to be breezy out of the west. That's the low humidity. So by next weekend, the fire danger is going to creep back up a little bit with a warm, dry breeze. Keep an eye on that. Things are greening up in good shape. You know, the the cherry blossoms are out, the wild cherries, looking at one right now. And the the maples, are, have buds have turned uh, from red to green. The maple leaves have started to come out. Poplar leaves are coming out pretty good shape. And when an alder leaf is the size of a mouse's ear, it's time to go trout fishing. So... It's time to go trout fishing. We're going to have an apple seed July 23rd and 24th at Skowhegan. We've got four Canadians coming down. And they're all black card Canadians, which means they are firearms instructors, firearms safety instructors, firearms accuracy instructors, and certified by the federal government up there. So they're coming down here to take a look at us and see what we do. And I'm sure we're going to learn something from them. It's going to be a good time. We'll sit around a campfire in the evening and talk about history and marksmanship. A couple of tricks that I've learned along the way. One is uh, on a rainy day, if you've got a peep sight, whether it's a military rifle or a civilian rifle, one drop of Rain-X or Armorall in the sight. Just take a Q-tip or just drop one drop on there. It will not blind over in the rain. It just won't. The rain will not close up that hole. So you bring your rifle up to your shoulder and you don't see anything through your peep sight. It's because there's a raindrop in there. One drop of Armorall, one drop of Rain-X, like you use on the windshield, and uh, it will not blind over. Something I learned along the way. Can't even remember who told me, <clears throat> but uh, and he told me that Armorall would do it, and I discovered that Rainex will also do it. I just figured, well, that ought to work. Both of them repel water. 
I don't know if WD-40 would, but WD in WD-40 stands for water displacement. And it was the 40th formula that they tried. They wanted something that would chase water off, prevent rust, and be a good penetrant. The combination that they finally found was ideal, was the 40th one they tried, so that's where W, water displacement number 40. That's where that came from. The stuff you learn on Northern Mainland Man Show. We'd like, still like to get a range up in Aroostook. We've had, we've had uh, two Liberty Seeds. So we tell the story, we tell the history. But we haven't had a shoot in Aroostook County. Now, Aroostook County is about the size of Connecticut. We've had to have shoots down there. Of course, a whole lot more people down there. Connecticut has gone nuts with their laws. You're not allowed to possess a firearms magazine that holds more than 10 rounds. Well, you know, a Glock will hold more than 10 rounds. A Beretta, like our state police used to have, would hold 15 rounds. 14 in the magazine, one in the chamber, you got 15 rounds of that Beretta. 92F, good pistol, good and reliable. Rear trigger. The Ruger uh, LC9S has a really good trigger. It, uh, it cocks halfway back when you fire it. It just sits there. And when you're ready to fire again, you squeeze the trigger. And that trigger pull has been described as, as slick as wet soap. <laughs> I like that description. It's just smooth. and doesn't go ratchety-ratch, bang. It just kind of squeezes back and goes bang. It contributes to much better marksmanship. And there's a, a video on YouTube some guy from gunbroker.com uh, banging away with the LC9S. And uh, this, he got steel plates hanging up, and he goes, bam, 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 clang, 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 clang. And he's, you know, rapid fire at multiple targets, and he's just slaying them down there. Gladdens the cockles of my pee-picking heart. Okay, Ted Cruz has filed for running for president in the year 2020, four years from now. He put his papers in this this week. So we'll see what happens, but uh, he's he's not going to give up, and he's going to be a force to reckon with in the Senate. He's still got four years to go in the Senate. They elect senators every six years. So he'll be in the Senate for four years, and much to the dismay of Mitch McConnell, who betrayed his state. He betrayed the coal industry. He betrayed our party's platform. betrayed his state. betrayed our nation. It's a pretty poor record for somebody that's president of the Senate. But that happened. Meanwhile, Trump is going high, white, and handsome. It's going to be interesting to see what happens at the convention, which is two months away. The convention is in July. 
But uh, he doesn't run the convention. He's not the party leader. He's a candidate. We don't really have a party leader. Much to my dismay. But it is what it is. We're going to have four more years of something. We've got three candidates running right now. We've got Trump, we've got Hillary, and we've got Bernie. Trump has supported liberal candidates and liberal causes for the last 40 years. And 18 months ago, he decided he'd flip and he'd register as a Republican just for the fun of it. See what happens. What happened is that the other 14 candidates dropped out of the race, and he's still there. So that's that's what we got. We've got three candidates to choose from, and they've all supported liberals for the last 40 years. This does not portend well for our freedoms or our nation or the Second Amendment. I mean, who would who would any one of them choose as a Supreme Court nominee? <coughs> Excuse me. The uh, Supreme Court nominees we have to pick from. Uh, we're going to be we're going to within in the next four years, we're going to have three or four new Supreme Court justices, and. As soon as, if if we elect Hillary or Bernie, we've got two or three of them. They're going to retire right off the bat. We've already got one vacancy. You say, oh, okay. They're going to get a liberal to replace me. I think I'll head down to the Bahamas and go fishing or whatever. And we've got superdelegates in both parties. The Democrats have a lot more superdelegates than the Republicans have, but you know they're all pledged to vote for Hillary. But they're starting, you know, with everything that's coming out. Do they want to? Do they want to elect somebody or have somebody running that's potentially charged with multiple felonies for opening up her private server with lots of government secrets on it? It happened. She did it. And if the guy who set it up for her is testifying before Congress. He's not done yet. He's going to testify a lot, especially if they give him immunity from prosecution, because anybody can, it's not, it's not a felony to set up a private server for, for a citizen. I can have a private server. Anybody can have a private server with your own server name. It's, a lot less expensive than it used to be. It's thousands of dollars to get this set up. Heck, you can buy a server today for less than $500. So, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun to watch. And, uh, personally, I'm going to work hard for main legislative candidates and do what I can for them. We hope to retain the legislature. Don't know if it's going to be possible because we got some real, really disappointing incumbents down there who didn't do what they said they were going to do. If they don't tell the truth, 
replace them. There's a whole lot of them that ought to be replaced in both parties. And then the progressives come out. As soon as you got a good, solid conservative running, they they go find a progressive to run against him and support him. And that's why our parties are so dysfunctional. They're corrupt right up to their ears. Some of them corrupt right up to their eyeballs. Last week I mentioned that... Uh, we had a, uh, a movie that I watched, and it was called uh, The Big Short. Shorting is betting that something bad is going to happen. And if it does, you win. You make a lot of money because a stock went down or an investment went down or a bank went down. Sometimes, if you get name like George Soros, a nation goes down. This guy is one evil bird. And he has collapsed the economies of several small nations in Europe. Now he's working on collapsing big nations. And when you get big enough, you can do that. And the big short was a scenario that actually happened. In 2007, stocks went from 14,000 to 7,000. And people bailed at 7,000. I mean, they were terrified. They thought it was going to go to 1,000. And they cashed in retirement plans and did all kinds of things. And uh, it went from 7,000 in 2007 to 18,000 a month ago. Now it's back 17,500 or whatever it is, close to that. That's the Dow Jones Industrial Average. And uh, it's not an industrial average. It's it's a gaggle of large stocks. But it's not industrial. You don't manufacture things. In- industries manufacture things like Apple. Apple makes iPhones and iPads and PowerBook Pros, which I'm looking at at the moment. And they they manufacture computers and they sell software and they've done pretty well. But this past week, Apple announced that their profits had declined. They were a little lower than than what they what what the guessers on Wall Street guessed that Apple would make. It's all a guess. Nobody can predict the future. Look at Fort McMurray. The whole place burned down. I just I looked at their website this morning, just before the show. It shows large neighborhoods. The whole row of houses that didn't burn, and then there's a whole two or three other rows of houses that did burn. Makes you wonder what they had for roofs. I think the houses with metal roofs did a whole lot better than the houses with asphalt roofs. Asphalt burns really well when it's got hot coals on and it was raining fire. I mean, it was raining not just sparks. I mean, glowing coals the size of a charcoal briquette had been sucked up into the air from this fire and carried long distances, and it was raining hot coals out of the sky. Awesome. There's a lot of video available, and if you want to scare yourself about living in the forest, look up Fort McMurray Fire. 
or Alberta fires or anything like that. And there's enough YouTube to make you want to plow up everything around your house for a couple of hundred yards and have just bare dirt. And on that subject, <clears throat> the spruce budworm is back. Last summer, there was spruce budworms on our side of the Canadian border. It's coming. Coming out of Quebec. It's going to be here for five years. There's going to be some stands of spruce forest that when the budworm <clears throat> was hatching, they didn't get blown in the right direction. There's going to be huge swaths of forests that are relatively unaffected by the spruce budworm. And because the hatch comes all at once, the spruce budworm and the hemlock looper both very similar animals. Spruce budworm, obviously, likes spruce. Hemlock looper likes hemlocks better. They prefer hemlocks. Both of them will eat either tree and other trees. They have to eat in order to survive and reproduce, so they'll land on on what uh, whatever trees they can. <clears throat> and I don't know if there's any trees that are poisonous to them, but anyway, it's coming back, and they're going to defoliate vast swaths of forest in northern Maine. Now, I've said before, but for the benefit of those who haven't heard it or need to be reminded, in 1940, Maine had six and a quarter million acres of pasture and cultivated ground. Today, we've got just over a million. We've lost five and a quarter million acres of pasture and cultivated ground. It wasn't paved. It wasn't developed into subdivisions. It is not factories. It is forest. First year after you don't mow a field, a bush hog a field, you get little tiny seedlings of whatever forest is around the field. This would be pine. Uh, when a pine cone opens up and, and drops its seeds, the seeds are like a little tiny maple seed. And they go down like a helicopter. They spin around and they float in the wind. And the wind shakes the pine cone and rattles them loose, and these they float off. They don't just fall like an acorn under the tree. When an oak tree drops its seeds, it goes kerplunk under the acorn, yeah, under the tree. But other trees, uh, such as poplar, poplar is a remarkable tree. Poplar produces vast numbers of seeds. And the seeds stick together like spider webs. And when the wind blows, these clumps of poplar seeds blow with the wind. And the poplar seeds get propagated all over the place. And when they get wet, this clump of poplar seeds, and the poplar seed is really tiny. It's like the tip of a toothpick. I mean, it's really small. Or a pencil lead on the end of a... It's smaller than a pencil lead at the end of a pencil. <clears throat> They're tiny, but they've got little fuzzy strings coming off them that carry it so that they get carried in, in the wind. So when the wind blows across the tops of poplar trees, it creates a venturi effect, and it picks, it, it picks the seeds up and carry them with the wind. And they'll drop and land on a forest floor. Some of them land in a road, and you'll see clumps of them blowing across the road. 
in a couple of weeks. That's what these these fuzzy clumps are, are poplar seeds. It's one of the most prolific trees for seed propagation in the main forest. <clears throat> so then, you know, we don't have many hickory nuts in Maine, very few. But we got acorns. Acorns get propagated by hawks. Hawks eat acorn owls too. They eat acorns, and they they've got enough of a of a crop that they or a gizzard, I should say, more proper name. But uh, the gizzard has got stones in it. The birds pick up stones, and their gizzard is a is a powerful muscle, and it grinds up stuff inside the gizzard, and so that they can digest them. And then, uh, but some acorns pass through the owl, drop out the back end of the owl, along rivers. And big great horned owls, for example, like to feed on ducks. And they'll come swooping in on a duck at night and grab them and yank them right off the water and fly into the woods with them and eat the duck. But along with the other food, the great horned owl... Uh, eats is acorns. Lots of nutrition in acorns. The Indians ate acorns. And they would crack the acorns with a rock and throw the shell away and then have a whole bunch of acorn uh, kernels, if you will. And they'd bang those down and they'd soak them. Squeeze out the water like you'd wring out uh, some barley, for example, you'd wring them out, and they'd eat that after they poured the water off, because the acorns are bitter. But after you pour the water off, you know they're edible, not delectable, edible. Okay, so the spruce budworm is coming, and it's gonna. It takes. They don't kill a tree in one day or one month. It takes three years for the tree to die. If a tree does not put, have sufficient needles to nourish the tree, the tree will die. And it usually takes two or three years. And as these trees die, they get very, very dry. And the wind comes, and eventually the, the stump will rot and the trees will blow over. Mother Nature is who's going to clean up. Because we're not going to go in there and harvest vast, vast amounts of spruce from the forest. We've got 6 million acres more of forest today than we had in 1940. Back around 88 uh, we, was the peak of the, of the budworm epidemic last time. We had bombers, old surplus World War II bombers, <clears throat> spraying, trying to kill the spruce budworm. The environmentalists will pitch, pitch a purple fit if we do that this time. We don't have the demand for the spruce that we had in 1988 because the main Forest Service, the main DEP, LURC, and the legislature have worked cooperatively to shut down Maine's paper industry. 
as I mentioned before, that was the goal of the Bar Harbor Conference after the 1947 fire. All those multimillionaires back then set a goal for 100 years. What do we want Maine to be like 100 years from now? 2047. Well, in 2047, they wanted there to be no paper company land in the state of Maine. None. It didn't take 100 years. They thought it would take 100 years, but they didn't understand that they had such a cooperative legislature and a cooperative enforcement agencies in the state of Maine. And they did not realize that the environmental industry was going to virtually take over the state of Maine. Now, Monday, Angus King has invited... Barack Hussein Obama's forestry guy up, National Park guy, to have a listening session in Millinocket regarding a potential uh, well, they, what they want is a three and a half million dollar, three and a half million acre national park going from Maine to New York State. Maine's, Northwoods, White Mountain, Green Mountains, Adirondacks, right across. That's their goal. And what this, what they want to start out with is a, is a small, uh, what Roxanne started out with. She was talking 57,000 acres, and then she's talking about 80,000 acres. Well, the people that live there, have camps there, own property there, don't want to lose their property. And she doesn't own it. She does not want to own the 80 or 85,000 acres that she wants to go into a national monument. She doesn't own it. She owns part of it, and she surrounds some of them, which makes those people really nervous, because then the federal government calls these people inholders. You own land inside of the park. What's your land? But they don't want you to be able to use it. They're going to start restricting your access, and eventually they'll squeeze you out. Just look at the history of what happened in the Cuyahoga Valley of Ohio. Beautiful valley. Farms, old farms, traditional farms. And it was it was pretty. It was like America in the 1800s in many ways. And they had general stores. You stop by an ice cream cone, you know, put your hand in the cooler, which was a, a Coca-Cola tank with a great big chunk of ice floating in it, and you reach your arm in there up to the elbow and feel around, and you can, by the shape of the bottle, you could tell whether it was a knee-high or Hires root beer or a moxie or an orange crush. Some old, old brands, and some of them are still around. But you could reach in there up to the elbow and, if it took you a while to find it, I mean, your arm would hurt because it's so cold. Up comes this ice-cold soda pot. And that was, a, that was a satisfying thing. And they always had a towel hanging there so you could dry off your arm. <laughs> but little kids would have to reach in up to their shoulder to grab a, an orange crush off the bottom of that cooler. But you could tell by the shape of the bottle what it was. Well, 
a lot of those old traditions, blacksmith shops, there's still blacksmith shops in the 50s and 60s. And we still have a few blacksmiths working as blacksmiths in the state of Maine. One of them is a fellow named Sam, Sam Smith, down in Portland. And he would set up his outdoor forge down there by the by the walkway along along by the old railroad station and railroad museum. And he'd make coat hooks, and cup hooks, and hinges, all kinds of stuff done by hand in a forge. <clears throat> the last two summers, he's working in Sweden and Germany and Austria and Belgium and Holland. Because he'll sit up and use his forge and, and in public. And it's fascinating to people that don't see this. And he makes a lot more money doing this in Europe <clears throat> than he does in Portland, Maine. Maybe it's because Europeans are more prosperous than we are at the moment. But Europe's going down the tubes due to the mass invasion by Muslims out of the Middle East. And they're letting it happen. They're letting it happen. No longer can a young couple go out for a walk in the evening in their neighborhood. You can't do it. It's not safe. You can here still in many places. I wouldn't go out for a walk in the evening with some neighborhoods in Philadelphia, for example. Philadelphia, the cradle of liberty. Democrats are going to have a convention there this summer. When they named the location of the convention year and a half, two years ago, whenever that occurred, you know, they didn't forget Philadelphia was going to be too serious a, a problem. You know, they knew there were some areas of Philadelphia that they were risky, but you don't have to go there. And Philly has something going for them called the Philly cheesesteak. And they take some roast beef and they slice it thin and throw it on the grill, cook it up, and then right near the end when, it, when the meat is just about done, they put some cheese on there, various kinds of cheese, shredded cheese. And that melts in with the with the roast beef, and they put it on a Philly roll, which is like a bulky roll, or a hard roll in a restaurant. And man, that is the world's best sandwich if you get a good one, in my opinion. It is really good. They used to have a place in Springfield, Maine, that was just as good. They had a cheesesteak sandwich that was just awesome. Millstream store. It's closed now. A lot of places in Maine are closed now. But they got one opening up in Springfield, Maine. I saw a guy uh, digging a hole right on the corner of Route 6 and Route 168 169. Excuse me. 169-170 right there at the four corners in Springfield, the only four corners in Springfield. And as we turn to head up from Springfield out 169 to Danforth, when you turn that corner in Maine, in Springfield, you're done when it comes to food. The next food source is Danforth. Danforth has got a pretty good little 
uh, coffee shop there. And they call it the mill yard. That's where there was a sawmill yard. In the in manufacturing facility, like a sawmill, being replaced by convenience stores and and uh, general stores, mom-and-pop shops, all over Maine. In Illinocket, I've seen the video of the two smokestacks being dynamited and falling like giant trees. I am on the ground. And, you know, when they went down, you know that there's no hope that that mill was ever going to start up again. So, in Springfield, there's a guy who was building a restaurant. He dug a full foundation. That's probably where his freezer is going to be. And it's going to be a takeout. It's going to be a takeout pizza place. Hot dogs, hamburgers, pizza, fast food. But it's going to be homemade fast food. And I'm knowing the family involved, I'm quite confident that they're going to do very well. They're going to have good service. They're going to have good food. And it's going to be fresh, locally made. They might have salads. Don't know. But it's going to be completely takeout. There's no... No counter indoors. They'll have an awning so you don't have to stand in the rain to get your food, but you're going to drive up, and uh, I don't know what the name is going to be yet, but the location is right on the corner of 169 and Route 6. Optimistic about it. They need it. There's a good ice cream shop right across the road in a travel trailer. You know, these trailers that they have at the uh, country fairs, truck pulls and stuff. Well, they, they've got one there in Springfield, and they sell really good ice cream made in Holton. Don't recall, don't know the name of the – used to be a, a ice cream manufacturer up there called the Holton Creamery. I don't know if it's still the same outfit, but the ice cream that they sell is very good ice cream. Looking forward to that, too. spoke about the East Grand State Land Buy, and they, it's an economic disaster for the towns of Weston and Orient because they're going to lose the tax value of all that waterfront property forever. The state does not pay taxes on property to towns. When they came into the town of Drew, they bought more than half the town of Drew from International Paper Company. Now, it wasn't direct. International Paper, when they bailed from Maine, they said, that's it, we're out of here. And as I said, there is no paper company land in the state of Maine today. Now, there's some plots up north, you know, up near Ashland and above, that is owned by Irving. That is not a Maine paper company. And maybe some, some wood from that property goes south to to places like uh, Scott Paper. But uh, don't know that. I don't see southbound wood on trains anymore. They used to go into Jay. Jay is still running. Rumpet's still running. Rumpet has changed hands numerous times in the last five years. I mean, it's ridiculous. I don't even know the name of who owns it at the moment. But they're starting up a paper machine. They've got a market for that niche. 
and they're starting up a paper machine. The Lincoln Mill is dead. The last attempt by some investors to buy up what was left in Lincoln uh, fell through. They just weren't able to put it together with the present owners of Lincoln. But the present owners do not want there to be any mill running on the Penobscot River. In Old Town, they could go in and flip a switch, put up a help-wanted sign, and run that mill in a week. It's still intact. But there are going to be a lot of impediments to that happening, despite the fact that their new tissue mills are starting up tissue machines are starting up in Baileyville, otherwise known as Woodland. There's numerous funny stories about truckloads of machinery rolling into Woodland, Maine, up in northern northern Roostick, looking for the paper mill. There's no paper mill up here except Fraser. They're up there in Madawaska. Well, do they call that Woodland? No, no, they don't. Once you go down to Baileyville in Washington County, about 200 miles south of here, they got a paper mill, and they call it Woodland. Truck driver is most unhappy when he realizes what's happened. We had a truck pull into Lincoln Pulp and Paper one Saturday morning, a great big roll for a paper machine on it. We wanted it to, to deliver it. He said, where do you want this thing? Let me take a look. Looked at his bill of lading. He was supposed to be in Lincoln, New Hampshire, with his roll for the paper machine. I politely broke the news to this truck driver, and he was most displeased with me, most displeased with the state of Maine, most displeased with his dispatcher. He was an unhappy trucker, I'll tell you. I said, well, I says, you need to go to New Hampshire. <laughs> and I said, the best way to go across is just to get on Route 2, which is right out here, go out the mill gate, drive out to the road, and hang a right. That's Route 2. Stay on it till you get to New Hampshire and drop south down to Lincoln. That's the best way to go. Don't even bother with the interstate. But these, these things happen. <clears throat> okay. The banking industry is hurting. They're hurting badly. They're closing branches. They're letting people go. They're doing cutbacks among their higher executives. And consumers are looking at this and saying, well, gee, you know, where should I put my money? Where should I conduct my business? Where should I have a credit card? And the banks are paying zero interest. Zero interest. Some banks in Europe... And a few banks in this country are beginning to charge fees for your savings. You want to you want to have a savings account with us, and it's less than five thousand dollars, or ten, or fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. You have to pay them a fee for them to store your money. Well, a lot of people don't know any better, and they'll just put the money in there, and they'll charge them fifteen. Eighteen forty dollars a year to store the money, but you know they don't want to stick it under the mattress in their house. But the house burns down, the money's gone. And your homeowner's insurance isn't going to cover thousands of dollars that you had under the mattress. This is not going to happen. 
So people need to need to decide where they're going to put their money. But on the other side of things, you've got the credit cards. Now, you take out a credit card with a sign-up bonus. Okay, you use our card. You you take the money, you pay off other credit cards, and you you keep our credit card, and you spend a thousand dollars in three months with this credit card, and you're gonna give you a big reward, like airline miles or something, and you and your wife can take off and go to Miami on vacation for free. And the banks are doing this. And then you, a few months later, you stop using the card, pay off your balance, cancel the card, and apply for another credit card with a sign-up bonus. And the banks call these people churners. Now, there was a time back when I was a young fellow when kiting checks was illegal. I mean, they could put you in jail for this. You would open a checking account, use your checking account to pay off a bill with a different bank, open a new checking account, pay a bill to that bank, and this was called kiting checks. You fly these around like flying the kite. And this is the same money going round and round. So, a guy comes into a town, and he goes into a store, and he buys something for $100, florist shop, a restaurant, something. He comes in, and he spends $100. That guy goes, and he pays the meat market for what he bought. And the meat market guy goes, and he pays... <coughs> The plumber who fixed the refrigeration unit in the meat market. And the plumber runs over and he goes to the, the lumber yard and pays for the lumber that he bought to build his deck or fix his deck. And the lumber yard goes by and he goes and pays for the florist. Okay, And it's a circle. The same $100 goes around the community. And everybody's debt just went to zero from that same $100 bill. And it's a, it, it's a joke. That, you know, it, it, this joke makes the rounds, but it's true. You know, their debt all went to zero. Each one of them had an indebtedness of $100. And you add up that indebtedness, and it might have been $600. Now, the indebtedness is zero, all from the same $100 bill. Went and saw the big uh, the big short last week. Last night was the premiere, the grand opening of Money Monster. Money Monster is a follow-on to the big short, which is probably not intentional. But it's relevant. And it was a very enjoyable movie. And you got a middle-class guy who was a truck driver. I don't know if he drives a long-haul truck or a delivery truck, but he's a truck driver in New York City. And he's got a girlfriend. 
He's living in an apartment, and he's just barely making it. And he inherited some money from his mother, the state, when she passed away, $60,000. He was watching TV, and I'm not going to tell the whole story, but he invested the $60,000, and the investment failed. He lost his $60,000. And he's an unhappy camper because this TV guy, who you, you see these financial programs, usually late at night, uh, recommending you buy this stock or you buy that stock. A guy named Kramer uh, is, a, is a famous one. And this guy on in, in, in the film that I saw last night, uh, Money Monster, uh, it's a it's a good film, and it was it's interesting because what happens in the film could happen. Now, as I mentioned last week or the week before, in Germany after World War One, Germans simply took the bankers out and hung them from the lamppost outside the bank, the way you'd hang crows on a barbed wire fence, to, kind of a warning to the other crows, and the other crows will stay away. And the bankers were hung by the citizens who, when they put money in the bank, they expect to go back in the bank and take the money out. The bankers fraudulently spent that money and didn't have it to give to the people that they owed it to. Plus the fact that inflation went out of sight. So the bankers uh, got hung. There's a certain amount that shouldn't happen. They shouldn't go out and hang bankers, you know. But they, it happened. It's in the history. You can read about it. In this, the uh, Money Monster film that we saw yesterday, this trucker who lost everything, he had no prospects, no money. He's just one of those guys that got cheated out of a lot of money by the system. And he was quite displeased. Well, guess what, folks? We've got a, we've got 95 million, approaching 100 million adults in our nation not working. That is nearly three times the population of Canada not working. Among this 100 million people, there are some people that are most dissatisfied. Now, some of these people are expressing their dissatisfaction by voting for people like Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump, both of whom are promising more free stuff. Now, Bernie Sanders wants students to be able to go to college free of charge. California does that, by the way. And go to California free of charge. Go to college in California free of charge. Bernie Sanders wants everybody to be able to go to college free of charge. The only problem is they can't find professors that'll teach for nothing. Bernie hasn't figured that out yet. Neither have his supporters. But that's what has to happen. If you want to have people go to college free of charge, you've got to have people that'll teach free of charge. This is not hard to figure out for the average quantitative thinker and amateur economist such as myself. I got straight A's in economics. B 
because economists know where the money is, they know where the money comes from, they know where the money goes. It's relatively simple once you get into it and learn a few fundamentals. I got C's in accounting. Now, the reason I got C's in accounting and straight A's in economics is that accountants spend all their time trying to create this parallel universe of balanced books because your assets need to need to equal your liabilities and zero out. What if you got a whole bunch of good stuff? You own a hardware store. You own the stock and trade. And you own your delivery truck. You own the building. You own everything. You are debt-free with the exception of your accounts payable for that month. You get billed for the the freight that came in, all of your stock and trade, your hardware, your consumables, pipe fittings, everything that, everything you can get in the hardware store. You have bills every month to pay for the stuff that you got in. And then you sell the stuff and you get money. And hopefully you got enough to pay the taxes and buy more stuff and pay your employees and pay yourself. It's a relatively simple thing, but accountants have to create this parallel universe that shows liabilities to equal the assets. I was never creative enough to invent liabilities in a situation like that. So I got C's <laughs> in accounting. I understood it, but I just couldn't. I couldn't create the bluff. And it's a bluff. The whole thing is a bluff. Well, this guy in New York went into the studio of the financial program manager who had recommended that he buy this particular stock that went bust. And he went in there and he opened up a box and had the show host put on a explosive vest with blinking lights and he said this is this is Ptex and it's a powerful explosive. I mean it would level the top half of this building and Pemex or whatever it is. And there's a lot of dramatic interplay throughout all the way to the end of the movie. And I won't tell you how it ends. But it could happen. I mean, some of these 100 million people who are not working are really displeased. They're going to show that their displeasure at the convention in Philadelphia, the Democrat convention, at the Republican convention in Cincinnati, Ohio. And they, they're going to express their displeasure in many ways this summer. And again, at the polls, I don't know what date, first Tuesday in November, they're going to have an election. And they are going to express their displeasure in various ways. And the pollsters don't know what's going to happen. They just don't know. I mean, they've been wrong in so many polls this year. I fill out stuff 
because it doesn't cost me anything. I fill out my opinion on polls, and I realize I'm hanging my neck out there, and they know who sent it. But I tell them that I'm not happy with Boehner, McConnell, and Ryan. Boehner's gone because Republicans, as long as he's there, we're not going to give you any donations. So they asked him to leave, and they put in Ryan. Ryan and McConnell just gave Barack Hussein Obama $1.1 trillion with no strings attached as a going-away president. This is not what we elected these people for. There's not that much difference between Boehner, who is gone, and Nancy Pelosi, who may well become the Speaker of the House again, because people are not happy. Okay. Like like Rush, I could go on for three hours today. I'm not going to do that. So this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscience of Maine, broadcast in Maine on WXME, 780 AM in Monticello, 1700 AM in Lewiston, 88.1 FM in Westbrook and Orono, and 96.5 FM in Brewer, Bangor, Maine. I'm going to take a chance and take the snowblower off and put the bush hog on. Be safe. Watch out for that cold water. Go catch some trout. God bless. Wise men follow him. Wise men follow him. Thank God.